to the latin babbler show i am your host rafael the latin babbler i'm along here with my amazing co-host paula garcia from paula knows something and our guest today is the 2020 recipient of the woody and gail hunt aspen institute fellowship award as well as a 2018 dickinson house fellow she is an associate professor of english creative writing and chicanics literature at el paso community college she just released her new book Andale Prieta by Leave Low Books. Welcome to the show, Yasmin Ramirez. So how are you? I'm doing well. Um, coming off of like this immense high of my book launch yesterday. So um, it's, it's the craziest feeling, but the most amazing feeling. Yeah, that's crazy. And so if you if you're, haven't tuned in yet, when we get through with this, you better buy this book. Because you got to support all the Latinas and Latinas that are doing creative writing. And I don't think people are aware of this. We, we had uh, once a time where Brenda, who came on the show, we talked about this. Very few, you know, from the Latino, Latino community are actually getting into that writing space. It was like 7% of, of the Latino community is actually writers. The, obviously an industry that's dominated by, you know, whites and, and, and other different parts. So just very cool that you have decided this was the path. And like the most interesting part is you, we were talking off the show, you're Mexican-American, your family came here in the U.S. in the 1880s. So yes. that's a little different from our normal guests because we got a lot of first gens <laughs> who come on the show and, you know, they're sitting there talking about how their parents, you know, crossed La, La Frontera and they had to settle in. And then all of a sudden the spirit, what was it like? Like, what is your Latino experience like here in the U.S. being, what, like fifth gen? It's a little different. <laughs> um, I think what's nice for me is, so I'm on the frontera with El Paso, Texas, and Juarez, Mexico. So if the city is like 85% Mexican-American or Mexican, varying levels of, of Mexican-ness, we'll say that. And so um, I think growing up here and the fact that my family like settled here and didn't like travel to other parts of the United States, it would it enabled me to keep a closer connection to my culture and like the roots. Um, I speak Spanish. I'm a little rough sometimes. It's not my first language, but same, yeah, yeah. Um, but I kind of I, I don't know if y'all use this word. We have this here. We say like we're pocha, somos pochos. Yeah, yes. Yeah, she'll and, know it. Mm -hmm. I won't. <laughs> And it can be an insult, but I've sort of embraced it because I feel like I'm still doing the work, even if I fumble some conjugations and things like that. I think obviously language, food, I have a very close relationship with, with Mexican food. Um, you can get the best food here. And so I grew up in this sort of cornucopia of a mix of English and Spanish at all times. Like you can hear different ranges of English and Spanish You can live here and probably not speak English your entire life if you want to. You could live here and only speak English. Um, but I, I don't know. I feel like I was very blessed by growing up here. 
Um, so I love it. And a lot of my book focuses on that and highlights El Paso, highlights the duality of the culture. Um, and so, yeah, I love it for sure. Yeah, because I asked that question mainly because of the fact that, like, um, I've gone back and forth. So when I was younger, I was in Puerto Rico. I was born here in the United States. But my family just kept going back and forth. And the one thing I notice is that it's different. Like when you go back to, you know, your homeland and so forth, and then you come back here and then like the lifestyles. Was, so for me to hear that you were able to kind of keep your culture attached to, because I know that there's a lot of Latinos who, for whatever reason, you know, it, the culture just kind of like dwindles speak and they have to mm-hmm. either go find it. I've had a lot of interviews where we speak to somebody and like, oh, I'm, I'm just now starting to get taught to me. I'm guilty of that with my kids. So it's just, it's kind of a, kind of a really cool tra- to hear that in your case, you guys were able to kind of keep that. Is your, like, does your family uh, constantly do the traditions and things like that as well? We do some, we don't do all. Um, so I, I do know I am, I am Americanized in several, several ways. Right. Um, but there are some traditions, like we still open our presents on Christmas Eve, um, things we don't do, like we don't do the rosca. I didn't, I was like, what is that? Right. I, we don't do that. Um, but other traditions, I, I don't know. I, I am lucky that my, my mom, like she grew up speaking Spanish. My grandma grew up speaking Spanish and my mom was bilingual. They were all bilingual, but I lived in this house where in a single sentence, like half would be in English, half would be in Spanish. Yeah, um, <laughs> the, the Spanglish, right? And then um, the relationship with my grandma, she mostly, she was more comfortable speaking Spanish, so she would, and I was more comfortable speaking in English. So our whole dynamic was, was we communicated that way. Um, and I think a lot of the, the sort of traditions that carried on have really come down, I think, to food. Um, I go back to food mostly because I didn't realize how much it's a communicator, right? You can share a meal with someone and it's a whole different experience. And so she taught me how to cook. And at certain times I resented it in my life. Like, I don't want to cook. I don't want to be in the kitchen. But then I circled back to it. And um, especially when I live by myself and I was craving like a chile verde. And I'm like, how do I make that? And so I'd be on the phone like with my grandma, like, what do I do? And then she's like telling me how to make it. And then you're kind of like, oh, no, I appreciate this uh, a lot. And so that's that was really um, a beautiful experience like when I was writing the book, looking at those aspects, I don't think when I was living them, I appreciated them, right? You have to look back at it a little bit. Um, but it's it's interesting too, because you you mentioned like a lot of the people you interview are, are first gen. Um, that was never my experience. So as like a brown person, I felt very isolated from those stories because then I thought like, wait, am I, am I Latino if I don't have a first gen story? Or if... Um, I don't have like a very close immigration story. I, I, it was a little bit weird for me um, when I was learning a little bit more about myself and like my history. Um, and then obviously I look Latina, <laughs> right? Like there's no doubt, da- there's no doubt about it, but it was weird. Cause I'm like, Oh, I don't have that. I don't have this. Like a lot of the, I think stories that, that we hear. And I didn't realize when I was writing the book that I was adding to like the spectrum that we haven't just arrived. We've been here for a really long time. And um, 
I hope that other people like, cause there's a lot of people like me, they'll find it and be like, Oh wait. Oh, there's yeah. a ton. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the narrative, the common narrative is that we just arrived, which is, we all know not true. No, I love that you say that because I think now with social media, it's been such a great way to connect. And I think a lot of people feel lost and thinking that they're the only ones living this experience. And the fact that you're able to put it together in such a beautiful way uh, through words in your book and and letting other people know that there's different experiences where we didn't all just come here. For example, I look the way I look and I'm not even first gen. I was born in Mexico. And my experience is totally different. And when you start to have children and explaining that to them and figuring out what that experience is, and you talked about food and language and how that's different for all of us. And sometimes it's like we're embarrassed because we don't speak perfect Spanish. And But I think it's lovely that you're even able to try because you want to. And that's something that is coming from within you. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And the fact that people are starting to connect through that now not being able to speak perfect spanish whereas before you would get made fun of right like the you know kids and it was so shameful and you didn't say anything you would just shy away from saying thing and i think a lot of kids uh really really shied away from even attempting to speak spanish because uh you know you have older siblings all they speak is english you're at school everybody speaks english so you kind of lose a little bit of that and then your parents are busy so no one's really speaking spanish to you or taking that time and um and yeah you lose a lot of that and through shame and guilt we lose so much of that culture and i love that that you're saying that and i think it's coming to the forefront now right where now people are are starting to be like you know what i don't speak perfect spanish but Whatever I do speak, like I still love my culture and it doesn't matter. I was going to say, and to go through that spectrum, because at one point I was that kid who was ashamed, who didn't want to speak Spanish, who was ashamed that I had an English accent, who I didn't. I always go to verb conjugations because that's where I always mess up. Um, but I did go through that shame and where I'm like, oh, I'm not going to speak Spanish. No, I feel uncomfortable. And then I was like, wait, why? Why am I doing that to myself? Because the only person who was losing out was me, right? Because I wasn't, I wasn't practicing, I wasn't trying. Um, so I think it's also okay to acknowledge that you can go through this like full circle of emotions. Because some days I do hate Spanish. I'm like, oh my god, why does it have to be so hard? And then other days I'm like, no, I love it. It's so great. You know, it, it, you don't. It doesn't have to be all or nothing all the time. Yes, exactly. I love that you're saying that. Like, you know, hopefully that'll come across and everybody will take it for what it is for them, for themselves. I love to hear people that are just kind of getting into it again or from, from my example, my daughter. And it's just like, I love starting to hear her pronounce things and feeling proud of herself because she's getting it and, um, because it's a safe space and no one's making fun of her. So I love that. Um, so getting into this wonderful book of yours, uh, uh, Babbler read all of these wonderful accolades about you. What out of everything that you were already doing, what pushed you, what made you want to become a writer and pushed you into writing this book? I think I, I, this is a, a sort of cliche answer, but I always wrote like I did. I have, I still have these little like dog eared notebooks, um, from when I was a kid, a little folder from when I was in elementary school. My writing is so weird looking, right? But I always wrote um, either, like I would write a journal, like I had like a dear diary, I went through that phase. And then also I was always like making up stories. Like I liked to make up stories um, and I liked to write. At one point in like, uh, in middle school, I had a friend who also liked to write and we would swap stories like quite often. And I, I sort of forgot about how much I wrote 
as I got older, even though I always had a journal, I was like, oh yeah, I did that. Like what kid do you know swaps stories with their friend and we would write horror stories and things like that. Um, And I think for a long time, I didn't think I could make a career out of it Um, because, you know, there's the poor starving artist sort of stereotype. Um, And so I didn't think, I thought it was just a hobby. That's something that for whatever reason in the Latino community is, is something that's like frowned upon anybody who's trying to and we talk about it so much it's it's so amazing how everybody has the same exact line when they talk about book writers artists actors musicians it's like the families are like hmm i don't know if you should be doing that but there's a good old doctor position or a good company position or you know what i'm saying like why are you going into that you're not going to make any money it's for whatever reason, it's not pushed. Like it's instead of, you know, for all the parents that are listening to this particular episode or any of the other ones, if somebody like Yasmin comes up to you and that's your kid or your nieto or whoever, and they say to you, I want to be a writer. Can you please just encourage it? Get them what they need in order to kind of just do it. So that way you're not taking a passion away from somebody and, you know, taking away what could be history in the making simply because you didn't have the opportunity to do it or you didn't have the guts to try it or, you know, whatever false, you know, belief you had as to. Because, look, my daughter is I got one that's a painter, one as an actress. My son does all the social media for the show and all that stuff. Every single one of them was given the opportunity to make sure they were able to excel in whatever it is that they were passionate about. So it's kind of funny that you said the exact same thing because every single person I know who's in the creative field says that same exact thing. They're like, oh, starving actress, starving artist. And like, I'm afraid I have to turn around and, you know, back it up with something. You know what I'm saying? Just to make sure, like, I don't know. I think that fear, right, of having your kids go through what they went through, I, it's the feel of instability, not living paycheck to paycheck. And they want you, they know, like, you know, an office job, that's going to be secure. A doctor, a lawyer, anything like that, that maybe like, like Rafa said, you, they, that was probably not even in their wildest dreams. And so they come to this country and they want you to have that secure thing. Whereas it's scary, right? Because as an, a creative person, you can make it. You might not. And then it's like they don't want they have that fear that their kids won't be successful or that they won't be OK. But you're right. I think we're in a great position now to be able to support our kids and foster those dreams and that creativity. I think it's hard to I, I, I was lucky in the fact that uh, like my family was kind of like, do what you love and you're going to find money. Like they, they didn't have that so much. I think for me, it was more my own self-imposed cultural belief of like, oh, man, I don't want to starve. Um, and then also there's the the self-doubt because there was no real representation for me. Like, I want to look at this writer. I want to be like that writer. When I would look on the shelves, there was no Ramirez there. There was no Rodriguez, you know? Like, I was just like, oh, God, like, can I do this? And that's that's the scarier part, right? Is that I, and I didn't know this. I didn't have the language for it until later in that there was no representation for me to look at. I, you know, as I've always been a big reader, but I was reading all white authors, sometimes some African-American authors. Yeah, but... Dr. Seuss. <laughs> <Things like that. laughs> 
um, but eventually I just thought like, let me just try this. Um, and I was lucky that, uh, here, cause I'd moved away and I, I actually came back home to study creative writing for, as a master's. And there's a bilingual creative writing program here in El Paso at the University of Texas at El Paso. So I went in and I was like, oh my God, half of the students are from Latin America and half of them are from the United States. And it was probably the one of the coolest experiences I had um, to learn about writing and to know that I could use some Spanish, um, things like that. I was reading your website. This is this is something you and I have the a similar tactic when it comes to like working on projects. So you apparently can't do any writing unless you have music playing. Yes. <laughs> which is kind of an odd thing for me to understand because like I do it because I'm sitting here doing creative things, whether it's, you know, doing flyers or building websites. How is it that you do writing while listening to music and words coming into your ear? I'm actually interested <laughs> in that. You know what? It it sets the mood for me. Um so I started the the playlist for the book. So it's Andale Prieta, and the playlist has the same name on Spotify. I started it for myself just because I was collecting a lot of my my grandmother, my Ita, her her music, right? So I was putting like Chente on there, Javier Solis, uh, Juan Gabriel. And so I was making that there because all those songs are so closely linked to my childhood that when I would write about my childhood, I had to put it on because I grew up in a very musical house. Like my grandmother liked to sing. And so I grew up with music on all the time and I needed it to write. So even though I was listening to Por Tu Maldito Amor, <laughs> I was still able to write because it brought me like to these memories. Um, and I, I always have music playing no matter what. Uh, I do listen to some music that doesn't have words sometimes, but um, no, I, I need the music. It helps me put me in the mood. It helps put me in the space. I don't know. I, I'm, I think in a past life, I was a musician. And in this, this life, the universe gave me no musical talent. So I just like to, to consume it. <laughs> I mean, talking that about that. That is an interesting way of putting that. That playlist is something else. I had a chance to to listen to it. And it's like, like you said, you know, some some Vicente in there. And then you kind of scroll and then it's like, you know, you have some hip hop in there and then you have like 80s. music. I mean, it really it runs the gamut of all kinds of different music like that. I'm assuming that that's all you as you get further down the list. That's like I have one. I, I, I have I can tell you a memory for each song. Like if you played it, I'd be like, oh, this reminds me of this. And this reminds me of this. Um, so it's, I don't know. I, I had to even like reel myself in um, because I, I could have kept going. And then I was like, okay, no, you're at six hours, Yasmin. That's, that's, that's a lot of music. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a car. That's a car ride. She made a playlist. <laughs> for a road trip. Everybody, everybody can turn around. Most people in most people in Florida can literally take off from Miami and end up in Georgia before that playlist <laughs> is done. That is hilarious. But it sets the mood. You start off with, you know, some rancheras and then you know if you're in the mood for something a little bit more beat, it takes you there. And then once you're like a little tired of that, then it get, takes you to some hip hop and so I think I like the way you put that together. It's very very eclectic to say the least. 
I inadvertently, I didn't start out planning it this way. I was just literally thinking about my life, but that's like that. looking at it, just looking at the list of artists, it's encompasses like literally what it means to be Mexican and American because it's like the perfect mezcla uh, of the two. Yes, it definitely comes across. Let's get into the book. So Andale Prieta, a love letter to my family. What inspired you to write it? Um, sadly, it was the death of my grandmother. Um, so she died, I, I guess, about 12 years ago now. Um, and I grew up with her because my mom was a single mother. Um, so she babysat me all the time. And so when she passed away, it like hit me like a ton of bricks. Right. Um, and I went back to what I like to do. And I started writing short stories about her. Um, and they were just fine. And it was one long story that was not very well written and very chaotic, but it was a way for me to deal with her death and to sort of heal from it. And then it just, it gained momentum from there. Um, and I kept writing and I kept writing and I kept writing until now we have the book, which it sounds kind of like a, a little crazy story, but yeah, it started with me trying to heal and deal with her death. So you've mentioned your grandmother quite a few times, and I know I'm sure many different people in your family really inspired you. But why, above all other relationships, with, was the relationship with your grandmother so important? I think it, because it's one of the first like relationships I had that, and I think it's for many Latinos they have like it's like unconditional love from from their abuelitos, right? And so they have that that close knit relationship, and that's what I had um, with her, and then. Uh, people ask me, like, how did you decide to write about that in particular, like this instance, right? So in one of the stories early on, uh, she teaches me how to fight, like how to box in first grade um, because I got bullied and she was like, you need to learn how to defend yourself. And I would tell that story like, yeah, my grandma, you know, she stood there with her hands out like this, like telling me how to punch, showing me how to make a punch, not to break my thumb, like different things. And people reacted just the way you did, Paula, like, wow, no, really? And then I was like, wait, why don't I write this down? Because every time I tell the story, someone is like, no, your grandma taught you how to fight? And I'm like, yeah. And I mean, she was hilarious because she's like, if you get in a fight and you lose, you you better win. Si no te voy a otra chinga cuando llegues a la casa. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> she didn't mean it, but put the fear of God in me. <laughs> Yo, I read that. And so... I saw that in part of the book. Like, she was telling you how to stand yeah. and everything. Like, she was making you squat. Like, she was preparing you to squabble. She, she, yeah. That is, she I mean, was. that's amazing. That's not a typical story. That's for sure. And I think my grandma was not a typical grandmother. You know, outside of that, I grew up, like, going to bars with her. Uh, she she was a bartender for a, a big chunk of her life. And so once she stopped working and was retired, that was, like, her little network. So I would go to bars with her, like six years old. I was like chilling in a bar <laughs> with my grandma. Um, and she would do rifas, like to make extra money. So she'd buy jewelry and then make a rifa. And she would sell numeros at the bar. And then that's how she would make, like supplement her income. Which is like wow. genius, right? But <laughs> crazy at the same time. Um, so I have, I have a lot of stories like that. Yeah. And that's what sort of prompted the book. And there's quite a few of them. Like the book itself has a lot of like, for instance, if somebody's trying to find a book where they're actually they can relate to the uh, the experiences that are taking. Like I related to two. I have one that I'm going to ask you because it's a story that you went through and I'm more interested in finding out what took place 
in that specific situation. But there's one there that was specifically like I connected with. It's later on in the chapters. I was like, okay, this was me. Like I literally had this moment. And that was when you were waiting for your father to pick you up in part of the book. And I know that me growing up, like I, I didn't grow up with a dad. So for me, like my mom was, was every part of it. And I remember waiting on Saturdays after I was promised that I was going to, you know, oh, I'm going to spend time with dad. Like, oh, wow, this is like a first in a million chance for me that he's going to come and pick me up. And I remember sitting there, you know, staring out the window sometimes waiting for this person to come and, and, you know, apparently take me away and go spend time with it. And it just never happened. And I remember my mom having to then compensate or having to compensate for the situation because of the fact that this person didn't their promise. So now she has to kind of like take over. And, and that, a part of that is in the book, you know, that how did you deal with that experience? You know, obviously it's coming, I'm reading it from a book's perspective, but in your own personal life, like, how did you deal with that experience? Badly at first. <laughs> um, I mean, it scars you, right? Like it, it's a it's a hard lesson to learn really young. Yeah. When you expect the adults in your life to keep their promises and keep their word and to be there for you the way you believe a parent should be, and then they're not. So it was definitely super hard, super sobering. Uh, lots of disappointment. But what was interesting is when I went back to write about it. I, I sort of saw it through a different lens in that because, I mean, I, I'm going back and I'm like, okay, so I'm a little bit older now than my dad was at that time or maybe about the same age. And I'm like, wow, I feel like I don't know anything. And then I'm like, how did he feel like knowing that I was this little living being having all these expectations of him, right? And then I just realized like he was a human being and he just ended up messing up and one of the worst ways possible, but then how do you go back from that? And it, it sort of, it humanized him for me. Um, and it also gave me some forgiveness for him, right? To know that he just didn't know what to do. He didn't know how to be the person I wanted him to be. And I think that story, I mean, I love that it resonated with you. I hate that that happened to you, right? That we have that shared experience. But I also think there is some healing to know that you're not alone in that place. Um, and that's, I hope that happens when you're reading it. Yeah. That was for me like, Oh wow. Like, look, this is, this is something that I can relate to. Like it was, and I think that's important because when you're reading, like I'm not an avid book reader. So when I'm sitting there reading on certain clauses or certain, you know, bits and pieces, the, the biggest thing for me is like being able to capture something that I, I get kind of like get represent that I can feel with it. And that was an emotion that to me was like, okay, this, I'm, I'm sitting here reading this book and like this part of it is literally me. You know, I, I'm thinking that for, for a lot of people who are going to be reading this book, they're going to be able to read some parts of it and sit there and go, oh, wow, she, she tapped on something that I went through or she tapped on something that I was able to kind of like, um, or that I'm experiencing now or that I experienced when I was a child. So I just thought it was really cool. The other, the other example I have is, it was in chapter one, because the book right off the bat makes you sit there and go, wait, what? Like, what? why would that do? Why would anybody do that? So I get you were selling, I think it was lingerie at Nordstrom, yeah. I think is what it was. Um, and so the, the part of the snippet that I'm going to read here, it says, every time I stepped into the black and white Paisley printed uh, fitting room uh, to help them, they asked right away, can't your manager help me? 
I am the manager, you replied. Pinch your eyebrow. Was it your experience or the fact that who they were seeing is not who they wanted them to be? I think it was the latter. That that question made sense. Yeah, I think it was the latter. Um, I just, you know, I I think back, I was like 27 when I was helping these women that were like 50 and higher who had just had major surgery, who had just lost, you know, a part of their body, of their womanhood. And then you see like this 27 year old kid and I've, I've always looked young for my age. So they thought I was younger and they're just looking at me like you're, you're about to look at this scar on my body. And so that was hard for them. That was really hard. And so I would always bring my Ita into the conversation because she was a breast cancer survivor. So I grew up seeing what scars worse than theirs. Cause it was just like, you know, she had her surgery back in the, in the late 60s, 70s, early 70s. Um, and so, yeah, it was, a, it was a mean scar. It was jagged. It went from like here all the way down close to her rib cage. But I would see her get dressed every morning. I would see her put on her bra that had the prosthesis. So all of that was very normal to me. I didn't realize it was abnormal until like the first woman I ever fit at Nordstrom for a prosthesis where she reacted that way. And then I, I was like, oh, whoa, wait. As I was coming out of the fitting room, like, oh, she's looking at me thinking like, I don't know anything about this. And I, I mean, I truly didn't, right? Not the way she did, but I did understand conceptually what she was going through. Yeah. No, the compassion. Oh, that's a, yeah. And look, it's only something that, like being in the position, it's only something that somebody in that position would be able to go through. I mean, lucky that, you know, these people eventually found comfort in you in that situation. But I was curious as to where it was coming from, because I, did, I didn't know if it was more of a... And you'd have to read the book in order to see the entire thing. I'm not going to give it away. So obviously, if I'm asking the question, it's because I want her to answer that. I want right. you guys to read it. Um, you know, we read it, so... So, I mean, as far as the book is concerned, where where can people purchase it? Right now, um, they can get it at any of their preferred booksellers, right? You go to Amazon, you go to Bookshop. Um, Barnes & Noble, I think, is backstocked right now. Like, if you go, it's not popping up, but it was pop- like yesterday was a crazy day for me um, in that aspect. But any of their preferred booksellers, I'm always going to try to nudge people like to support small books, right? Small bookstores, small businesses. But um, any, any shop they want to go to will have it. Um, they can also visit my website, yasmindarmidas.com. And I have links to my favorite small bookstore. Um, but yeah, they can get it pretty much anywhere. Will you be doing an audio version? Wow. Paula, you must be psychic. I just asked that question today. <laughs> um, I think maybe it's, it's in the works, but I don't have any, I don't have a definitive answer yet. It is an ebook though, too. So you can get the Kindle version. Um, but I don't have a definitive answer on the audio, but signs are pointing to yes. <laughs> if you do, would you be the reader? I don't know if I have a, a, a good voice for that. Um, I don't know. I think you should think about it. I'll think about it. No. We should just get Mark Anthony so we can get the I accent. I love it. I think I just like it's a great way. I'm an avid reader and sometimes I just don't have time. So whenever I can get my Latina lady authors on audiobook, I always I we love having the physical copy. But then I mean, I mean, I live in my car driving 
my kid everywhere. And so we pop it in and that's the way we get to kind of share it. She likes to read the hard copy and I listen to the audiobook. So that's so cool. Would love to see it. I'm in LA. So I could start off in Granada Hills. And by the time I reach Hollywood, we'll finish your book. That's how <laughs> bad traffic is. Oh, God. So bad. <laughs> I would definitely consider it. But that's yeah, probably, I, you I, know, I, I would, I would say that that was probably a really good, really good choice. I, I would, like I said, just get somebody with, with a really good accent. So that way we can turn around and, you know, produce a stereotype. Everybody will be like, oh, okay. Yeah. We're definitely listening to a Latino author. <laughs> Anthony in there. Every time I step into the black and white paisley <laughs> in the printed fitting room. We don't know talking about What are you talking about? I think we do. I think we do. Don't worry. Listen, I'll give you my number. I can read. Okay. Oh, uh, she's put a few right words here. together. Look at that. She's yeah. shooting the shot right now. Yeah, Look, she's trying to I get like it, it in there. <laughs> she was trying. Hey, this is where she was trying shot, to go the right? whole time. This is She was trying to just funnel that in somehow. You saw that? Hey, I love that this red. I love it. No, I love it. I think that's that's a good idea. All right, so let's play a game. She ain't playing. Stop lying. She's not playing. Paula's like, I'm playing. Paula's not playing. Paula wants to read this book. She wants to record this book. And she she got the equipment for it. So let's go let's go ahead and play again. We're gonna play 60 seconds. Okay. You gotta try to answer 10 questions okay. in the 60 seconds time frame. Some of these are easy, some of them you might have to think about. Okay. But you get 60 seconds. You ready? Yeah. All right, here we go. We're gonna start off now. Iced or hot coffee? Hot. Favorite genre of music? Oh, uh, e- hip hop. <laughs> you got one last vacation. Where do you go? Tokyo. Tokyo. That's a good answer. Uh, texting or talking? Are you a texter or a talker? Texter. Ah, okay. If you had the power to resurrect one celebrity from the grave, who would it be? Kurt Cobain. Wow. We're going to talk about that one. Uh, favorite TV show? Oh, uh, you know what? Right now I'm really into... Oh, uh, oh no, the title. You got 18 on. seconds. Uh, you got 18 seconds. Right now I'm watching MasterChef Colombia. Oh, that's a good one. Okay, type of animal that you would feel represents you? A tiger. What's the last gift you gave somebody? Uh, a coffee mug. Oh, we ran out of time. We ran out of time. I, I was got halfway in there. You got yeah. to A. Uh, you were in there. You know got, what? She got it she in. Got she got, got it in. She got stuck. She got stuck on the, uh, uh, I think it was the uh, favorite TV show. That's I did. When I got you. you know what? Because I had the show and then the title just like poof out of my brain. Um, I, even right now, my brain's trying to get to it and I can't. Uh, okay. It's gone. <laughs> She's like, it's like, it's gone. It's gone. gone. I'm going to ask the last two questions just for fun. Okay. If you had to get rid of a day of the week, which one would it be? Monday. Monday? Yeah. That's such a cliche question. I'm not sure why we even ask that anymore. <laughs> All right. <laughs> why is it that round pizzas have square boxes? I'm always interested in this question. What? <laughs> I think because square boxes Here's are Here's one e- that'll make you think. Square boxes are easier to build than a round box to go. That is a good question. I mean, a good yeah. answer. There you go. That is the answer, guys. For those of you who are asking <laughs> about the round boxes, 
those of you who were like sitting there going, damn, I really wanted Yasmina to answer that question. <laughs> um, literally nobody. <laughs> uh, now you have the answer to that. So Yasmina, if folks wanted to follow you, where would they go? It depends. I'm on everything. <laughs> I'm a, my preferred social media is, is Instagram, actually. So my handle is just at Yasmina Ramirez writes. And then from there, I have a link that will take you to all of the other ones. I'm on Facebook, Twitter. I'm trying to work on TikTok, but I feel very inauthentic on them. Um, but Instagram is like my like jam. you're forcing it? I think I feel like I don't have anything to say, but then people get on there and say nothing. <laughs> and then I'm like, I just yeah. need to get comfortable saying nothing. <laughs> it's got to get that motivation. It's yeah. got to get that motivation. You just sit over there and take 60 second clips of you reading parts of your book. There you go. Yeah, that'll do well. That'll do well. But then they have to buy it. it. Yeah. So that you can't you can't you can't give too many 60 seconds, because if not, you basically just read out the book that Paul is trying to, you know, buy her way in on. (laughs) So. All right, guys, don't forget to buy the copy of this amazing book and make sure that you support Latino writers and Latina writers. I think it's such a huge thing. So, you know, for those of you guys who are tuning in. Make sure that you subscribe to this YouTube channel and to the, all of the podcast network. Andela Pretia has come out yesterday, so that means you need to buy your book today. We will be doing a giveaway where she actually signed and gave a little note on the book, and we will be giving that away. So if you subscribe to this YouTube channel or sign up for the newsletter, you will be automatically entered into that. If you share the actual episode, you will be automatically into that. And yes, we do look and we do attention. So make sure that you go ahead and follow us on social media at Latin Babbler Show. Go to the website, www.latinbabbler.com. Pay attention because Wafi Media is coming out. That's todowafi.com. That's coming out this week, our new parent company. And for those of us here, Paula, and for Yasmin, and for me, the Latin Babbler, we are out. Desde Nicaragua hasta Costa Rica Con esta canción todo el mundo se identifica Llamen a los chilenos y a los cubanos Llamen a Puerto Rico y a los mexicanos Que ya se armó la rumba Desde Panamá hasta Ecuador Vámonos a Perú y luego hasta Salvador Que se escuche en Brasil y Argentina Yo quiero un grito de mi gente latina Y levantaré mi bandera Estando en mi país o estando allá afuera Porque para mí mira noches en fronteras Yo levantaré mi bandera